Whoever is listening, guys, welcome back. My name is Grayson Mann. This is the Man with the Plan podcast. Thank you for joining us once again. We just dropped our interview with Clemson wide receiver Travion Thompson, and today we welcome on a Sunbelt and ACC broadcaster, Noah Freire. Noah, thank you for joining us. We're going to get some insight on the broadcasting world, your journey, and just have a great conversation today. So thank you again for taking the time. Welcome to the show, man. Yeah, Grayson, really excited to uh, be here and, and chop it up a little bit today. Yeah, and actually, just for the viewers' context, my brother walked in here right before we started. So, if, if you're watching this, over, sorry for scaring you, I guess, but he he walks in and he goes, just so you guys know of Noah's street cred around uh, South Carolina, at the very least, my brother hears him speak for a second and goes, oh, I, I know who that is. So, this guy is very well known, and we're going to talk about your journey. So, just to start, talk about what, you're, uh, what you've been up to, your, uh, your duties as broadcaster and play-by-play. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of start from the beginning a little bit. I, I got into this industry uh, in a little bit of a weird path. I, I actually went to school as a business major, uh, always wanted to work in sports, but thought I would be on more of the business side of sports. And then through just a happen chance opportunity, ended up getting into broadcasting. Uh, and really the rest after that is history. I moved up to the South Carolina area about two years ago. Now it'll be two years uh, in July to kind of start pursuing this dream uh, of making broadcasting my full-time career. And now two years into it, uh, I've done hundreds of events over the last couple of years uh, across, I believe it's 13 or 14 different sports now. Uh, as I kind of just try to work my way up through the industry, that no one has the uh, the same path in this in this industry in sports broadcasting. Uh, I decided to go all in on the college sports route, uh, and it's and it's slowly but steadily paying off for me. Yeah, absolutely. Especially being in a time an area like South Carolina, where you've got schools like Clemson who continue to be in that national discussion. There's a lot of stuff going around here, especially in the Upstate. So for you. Where do you think you found that calling? You mentioned that you started out as a business student, but was there maybe a clip online? Maybe you saw, or was it like a dream you had the entire time? Like you mentioned, for me, it was listening to guys like Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreit on College Football Saturdays going, man, I want to be a part of this. Was that the same for you? Or did you maybe find a clip online and thought, I need to get on this ASAP? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was interesting. I, I before living in Florida, before moving up here, I had grown up in upstate New York. And so the, you know, the track of my childhood was Michael Kay uh, calling Yankees games on Yes Network. And I always thought that that was, you know, the coolest job in the world. And then, you know, thinking back, as I've done over the last couple of years, I had several people in my life that always said, hey, you've got a great voice. You should get into television or radio. Uh, and I kind of always just, you know, threw that to the side. It was never something that was really an interest for me. Uh, funny story, how I actually really got into broadcasting is I had gotten into some sports information work at the school that I had graduated from uh, down in Florida. And uh, the guy who did our live stream broadcast at the time, they were put on YouTube. Uh, he got sick and being the young and maybe dumb 23 year old, I said, well, I can add something else to my plate. Uh, and so that was uh, five years ago now that I put on a headset for the first time and, and called a soccer game. Uh, and really after that, just started to fall in love with that aspect of things, uh, started calling a bunch of games there, really had only gotten experience in basketball, volleyball, and soccer at the time. Um, and then started to just get some freelance opportunities from knocking on doors and seeing them open. 
And then eventually it led to me saying, hey, this is something I really enjoy. Uh, this is uh, something I want to pursue. And that's when I really started to implement a plan to turn this into something full time. And that is even what uh, led to me moving to this area, because as you mentioned, you have all the schools in South Carolina, but within about three and a half, four hours of Greenville, South Carolina, there's, if my numbers are right, if my memory is right, there's 35 division one colleges. And so it just presents uh, a lot of opportunity in this area to try to get into the broadcasting industry. Yeah. And you mentioned that there's so many opportunities up here, but I think also thing I wanted to touch on is you knocking on doors. Can you walk through that process of just when you were initially starting out and going, because for me, it was getting the itch. And then you start to ask and try to talk to so many different people. So for you, what was that process like of knocking? I The thing I use with my friends and family is I'm just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. What is that process like to really just embrace that process? What is the process like to embrace that process? I'm starting to repeat myself here, but you get what I mean. Yeah, no, no absolutely. And I think it's it's interesting and in hearkening back to you know my business background, um, one of the things that you know you learn in business school is how to network and and the benefit the benefits of networking. Um, and so again, when I announced that I was leaving my current job, it was a little bit interesting. I had signed a contract with that current job, so I knew I had about it was about six to eight months before I would be stepping into this new role. And so I just started utilizing LinkedIn. I started utilizing staff directories on college websites. You can generally find who's in charge of video and just start reaching out to those people. At that time, I didn't have a lot of great film uh, to be showing them, so it was more selling them on who I was, whether that be through a phone call or um, you know, a, a Zoom call. We were just getting out of COVID, so Zoom was, was very popular at the time. Um, I remember one story in particular, and this is really what kicked off you know, really that networking thing for me, and it actually ties into uh, Clemson University and South Carolina in general. Um, I had reached out to a man whose name is Anish Shroff. You might know that name. He calls football for ESPN. He also does. Um, he's also the voice of the Carolina Panthers on radio now. And I reached out to him as I did to a lot of people and just said, hey, I'm a young broadcaster. I'm looking to get into the industry. I would just love some advice. And um, if you've ever done any of that on LinkedIn or even through email, uh, it's kind of hit and miss who you hear back from. And he happened to reach back out to me. He had no reason to do that. I was not giving him any benefit, uh, but he took some time to send me a nice message and then let me know that the week later he would be calling. I believe it was uh, it was Clemson versus I, I can't remember the, the school that they were playing. It ended up being a massive blowout. But he said, hey, I'm calling this game. I've got to drive home from Clemson to Charlotte afterwards. If you'd like to give me a phone call, here's my cell number. Uh, we can talk for 30 minutes. And that turned into just a really good conversation and, and starting to learn uh, about the industry. And then fast forward about a year after that, I then made the move up here to South Carolina. And our relationship had been sporadic at that point, as, as most are early on, just because, again, I'm not bringing a lot of value to that relationship at that point. Um, moved up here to South Carolina, shot him an email and said, hey, I'm about an hour and a half away down in South or in Greenville. Can I come up and maybe grab coffee with you in Charlotte? Uh, we ended up having coffee that day and that has turned into just a fantastic relationship, someone wow. that I can go to, to ask questions in the industry. Um, and so part of it was obviously people being willing to reach back out, but then also being a go-getter and, and attacking, um, those types of, uh, relationships being intentional. And, you know, for me that now that relationship has spanned almost two and a half years 
Um, and it has, it has been needed. It actually has led to what has become my love of the sport of lacrosse. Uh, he's the voice of lacrosse for ESPN, and I've really started to enjoy uh, that sport, and a lot of that uh, is from him. So just a neat story there, but there's you know a lot of cold calling, a lot of emailing, uh, a lot of networking on LinkedIn, and uh, you know it's hit and miss, but you build those relationships, you get an opportunity, you do a good job, and you hope that you get asked back. Yeah, seriously. I mean, it's really like that, like you said, is that the things you don't expect to really blossom eventually turn into something really, I, I would say, really beautiful because those guys don't necessarily have to give back. But to see them do that is such a it's a great thing. And so for you, besides that networking aspect, what also have you learned working in this business? Because you can have somebody who's waiting in the aisles. Take me, for example, who's ready to jump on the next opportunity that's thrown at them. I'm not the only one, and it's a very competitive industry. What have you learned besides that networking aspect? Maybe it's in a call. Maybe it's the prep beforehand because there's so much I think that people don't necessarily don't know about, but there's a lot that goes into just speaking into a microphone for three hours. Yeah, no, and I think you touched on it a little bit right there, and, and that's the prep aspect of things. Um, my goal, and again, I parachute into a lot of different schools. I'm all over the place, uh, and I'm not necessarily getting the luxury of seeing a team play every game that they play. And so for me, that process has looked like building a, a standard procedure of how to prep so that when I step into a broadcast, I feel like at that point in time, I'm the most knowledgeable person outside of the people on that team. Uh, to what has happened in their season, the different injuries that have taken place, um, different stat nuggets about people that are playing on those teams. Um, generally, uh, an average rule of thumb in this industry is for every hour that you're on TV, uh, it's about two hours worth of prep um, that's taking place. So the average college basketball game is going to be somewhere around two hours. So if you extrapolate that out, I'm doing an average of you know, four to four and a half hours worth of prep for each broadcast. And that looks like building a set of charts that has information that's easily accessible for me so that when we're in the moment, I can find something quickly through a color code or, or things. And that could be something as small as, hey, this person has just scored their season high, those types of things. Um, and then that process also looks like we we generally will sit down, me and my analysts will sit down for a Zoom call with those coaches, uh, the head coach of each team, just to get some of those, those stories that background um, about the season. So the prep, I think, is is a massive part. And it's one area that maybe I over prep. But, you know, early on in this, you know, in this career, I think what I learned is that, you know, if you look at all the prep you put together for a broadcast, a good broadcast, you've only used 10% of it. Um, and so you want to be able to have those nuggets, those stories, so that if a broadcast goes a certain way, you are prepared for that. Uh, and then even more so, as I mentioned earlier with that story about the blowout football game, there are times where your team is losing by 20, 25 points and you don't have to be as on top of the action as you do in a in a seven point game in the fourth quarter. So uh, it's being prepared for those moments. And I would further just echo that, too. It, it's a great um, perspective for life in terms of how um, being able to have conversations with people. And I, I pride myself on not only can I have conversations about your favorite sports team, but I'm, I'm knowledgeable in a lot of things. I'm so much more than just a broadcaster. And maybe what that looks like is waking up in the morning and, and reading, you know, through Fox news, through CNN, just being aware of what's going on in your world, scrolling through a Twitter feed, uh, just being knowledgeable so that you can have conversations with anyone that you run across. Yeah. And I think that's a valuable insight just because 
I think when you mentioned conversation, the person that you're going to be in with the booth, it needs to feel natural. It needs to feel like you guys didn't just meet five minutes prior to the game starting. So there's a lot that goes into it. And I think for me, what I've learned about the most and some guys that I talk to that uh, I, if Luke Winstall's watching, he does some broadcasts in Georgia, told me that the biggest thing for him is prep and being able to say, hey, like you said, I'm going to be the most knowledgeable person in this arena. And that becomes so important because when you find someone, I, I did a basketball game back in February and this guy had been, I think it was either steals or, and I was able to pull it up and I was like, oh, that's so cool to be able to go, oh, here's this piece of paper. This is the stat. And I can convey that to the audience that's watching. So it's really an interesting process for you. You mentioned all the colleges that you're tied to. Do you have a specific game or a call where that's very memorable in your eyes that maybe it was early on? Maybe it's something you did recently that really sticks to memory. Yeah, there's two that just come to memory, two um, things that I've been a part of in the last year. One was um, one was more controversial, uh, uh, and the other one was more memorable. I'll, I'll go with the memorable one first, and for me, that was an opportunity um, you know, to, to call Clemson's first ACC uh, women's lacrosse home game against Duke, and it ended up being an upset. Uh, it was the first ranked win uh, for Allison Kulik's side at Clemson, and uh, what was so neat and so memorable for me about that call was uh, speaking back to those coaches calls that we have uh, that Friday, we had sat down with the coaching staff at Clemson and uh, a question had been asked and answered. And basically the answer had been, Hey, we had just sat down uh, with our, you know, graduate transfers and just thank them for, you know, how good of a job that they have done. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I find that the follow-up questions to answers are some of the most valuable. And I simply said, why now, why did you have that um, conversation now? And, uh, you know, give credit to Allison Pollock. She was very honest uh, with me at that point. She said, hey, the reason we sat down and, and talked to those kids is I just found out that I have breast cancer. Um, and we wanted to to let our, our girls know about that. Um, but then it quickly came with, hey, we're not we're announcing this next week. Uh, and so we don't want that talked about on the broadcast. So you're going through this moment, probably the biggest win to that point in Clemson women's lacrosse history, knowing that there is this story in the background that we're not able to get into. Uh, but knowing the, the bigger meaning uh, to this game for this program, and then they go on to come from behind in the fourth quarter against a ranked opponent and win. So for me, that was that was super neat uh, just to be a part of uh, a new program getting their first ever ranked win. Uh, and for me as a broadcaster, those are the moments you live for those close games in the fourth quarter, the back and forth. And that was that was great. Speaking of the, um, you know, the other moment, the controversial moment this year. Um, and again, in this industry, you just never know what is going to blow up. And we were in a in a uh, a moment during the Sun Belt Women's Basketball Tournament earlier this year. We were, I believe, in the semifinal round at that point, or maybe it, it was actually the quarterfinals. Uh, but it was a matchup between Old Dominion and Troy. We get to the fourth quarter. Uh, Old Dominion had led the entire game, uh, and it, it I think was seconds left in the fourth quarter. They're leading by three or four points at this time. Um, and they have a, a sidelines out of bounds play that they're going to throw it in. And the goal is to get it in bounds, get fouled, shoot some free throws, hopefully ice the game. And when I, when we call the Sunbelt games, particularly this year, we've actually been doing them out of a studio in new Orleans. That's in the Superdome. Uh, and so we're actually, we weren't on site for this, but we have some great video monitors. We're able to get a great picture. 
And all of a sudden, I start counting the number of players on the court, and there's five players on the court, and there's one throwing it inbounds. So you do some quick math. There's six players on the court for Old Dominion, and you know the game of basketball. You're only allowed to have five. Uh, and so I noticed that very quickly. Actually, the officials never noticed it. And wow. the game um, the game ended up going final without them noticing it. There should have been a technical foul. Troy should have had the basketball, a chance to take the lead, uh, so on and so forth. But uh, we were the only ones that noticed it. And we're calling it out on the broadcast, but the officials never did. So Old Dominion ends up getting the win. And uh, I think what was neat for me is just everything that came out of that afterwards, the different Twitter posts and, and different things. I think at one point there was a Sports Illustrated article that was written on it. Uh, it had over 6 million views on Twitter. And wow. so just early on in your career, those are those are just fun moments. It, it hasn't led to any work. Um, but again, those are just the moments that you live for. And to be able to nail that call and, and realize that situation in the moment uh, is, is just a lot of fun. And those are the type of uh, mountaintop experiences kind of early on in your career. I can't believe that, especially in the championship tournament. Got to be able to, I, that actually really uh, shocks me, especially if you're on the TV and you start hearing the announcer call that I can't imagine being a Troy fan and being like, hey, like you're snapping your finger at the TV. Like, yeah, they'll figure it, was it out, funny right? Because honestly, no one in the venue realized it. Uh, we said it first and, you know, then finally, there must have been like four or five seconds left in the game because the game clock ran out and the officials left the court. So once they had done that, uh, it wasn't something that was able to be reviewed, but uh, you start to see fans walking down the stands, yelling to the bench, like and showing like the video of what's going on and, and realizing that they were watching our broadcast in venue. Uh, so it was just a crazy oh. moment. It was something fun to be a part of. Uh, it's still something that I look back on fondly of this past year. So. Man, I can't believe that I would be that. That's crazy. I wonder if I saw that. I feel like if I like scroll down through my the Twitter rabbit hole, I'd be able to find it somewhere. But yeah, oh, guys, you would easily. Old Dominion Troy. Look that up on the Sunbelt tournament. You'll be able to find uh, Noah's call. But Noah, for you, you've been doing this for a while now. Have you have you seen the field change at all in terms of who they're letting broadcast, what they're going to broadcast the way, like you said, doing calls off-site like in the Superdome for example where has this field changed in your opinion while you've been a part of it yeah I think it's continuing uh to shift as we speak I mean I think what we talked about with the studio is is a big part of that um I've called four or five uh women's sports championships this year out of a studio in New Orleans instead of being on site um you know credit to the Sun Belt, we have a great setup there uh it's still not the same as being on site and the emotions you get from that um but we have everything that we need in order to be successful and what you're seeing just across the board is uh people being more cost conscious and and maybe smarter and realizing hey we can provide a better experience by being off site than we can being on site you see um, but you also do see sometimes where that experience isn't great uh where you lose a broadcaster in the middle so Technology is a great thing. I think our our hope in this industry is that what we started to see happen during COVID uh, does not continue for forever, but I think we would be naive to see that because uh, people who are in charge, they are always looking for ways to save money. And if that means having Noah call a game out of his basement in South Carolina and not having to pay for him to fly and get a rental car and, and pick up a hotel, um, that's a big aspect of things, too. I think the other challenging thing in this industry is breaking through. It's not easy, and um, at the end of the day, there's not really a rhyme or reason for how people break through. Uh, everyone takes a very unique path, um, 
you know, and I think one of the neat things that you've seen a lot happen in this industry lately is you're starting to see a lot more female play-by-plays uh, take over. And even some of, um, you know, companies are looking to hire female play-by-plays. Uh, I think it's neat uh, for, for people to be getting opportunities. Uh, I think the only thing that I would say just in this industry, the one thing that I have seen early on is that we want to be putting the most talented people behind the mic. Uh, and I think that's important, whether that be female, male, any color. I, I think we want the best storytellers uh, behind the mic, and that will be kind of interesting to watch and monitor over the coming years. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there's so much – I had this conversation with uh, Travion Thompson yesterday about how college football continues to change, and it's naive to think that – the product that we're seeing right now isn't going to change, even if those changes are slight or maybe it's a tweak here or there. They're always, like you said, figuring out ways to save money, make money. How can we make this business better? So, yeah, even behind the scenes, if you want to consider broadcasting that where you can't necessarily see it, like you see Trevor Lawrence throwing a pass every every down. We don't You don't see the broadcaster with a microphone or Tony Romo talking about, oh, I don't know, Jim. You don't see that every single time. So this industry is going to completely change for you and for guys like me, I guess this is more my question to you. What is your advice to younger broadcasters who are in college or maybe in high school trying to say, Hey, I want to be able to do this. Where do they start? Where do they go? And if they've had a couple of games under their belt, what do you suggest that they do moving forward? And I guess this is more of my question to you in that case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, first and foremost, one of the things I learned early on in this industry and, uh, it was actually a play-by-play -play broadcaster out West that I had had a conversation with. And, um, you know, his biggest piece of advice to me was just don't be an asshole. Um, and it was, it was a good piece of advice. It, it, what it meant was just be a good person, uh, treat people well, uh, work hard in this industry. And, and what you find is that people, uh, who you treat well, they tend to like to work with you again. They tend to, uh, be willing to promote, uh, you to maybe friends of theirs. I think the networking component, uh, is a massive piece of all of this as well. Just building those relationships, um, in this industry are huge. Uh, and then, you know, really for me, again, it's just reaching out to people, getting opportunities and, and doing a good job. Um, one of the things I learned early on, too, is, you know, when I'm out calling a, a game at a small major school, maybe a women's soccer game, um, there are people that are watching that broadcast that really care about that sport and that opportunity. Um, I might look at it as a stepping stone, uh, but for them, it could be a family member that's playing or maybe they're just a diehard sports fan of that program. Uh, and so being able to show up every time you get behind a mic is so important and putting in the time so that when you get on that broadcast, when you are given that opportunity that you're ready to go. And then I think to your point, which you said as well about getting those opportunities, uh, you know, again, no opportunity is too small. It's an opportunity to put on a headset and get better each day. Uh, it's, it's, it's continually learning from people and, and learning more about the craft, uh, and then continuing to use those opportunities to grow in the industry. My first year in this industry, I was doing a lot of women's soccer. I was doing, um, you know, some volleyball. I was doing some, uh, low level women's lacrosse. Uh, and now that has led to me calling five, you know, division one championships this past year. I've sent five teams to the NCAA tournament. Uh, and, and numerous other uh, neat opportunities. I mean, I think back to even we were talking about Clemson's women's lacrosse season of, 
getting to call a game against Boston College, who ended up playing in the national championship game. So, um, you know, never taking an opportunity for granted, working hard, and, and then uh, waiting to see how it uh, how it all um, unfolds in the future. An appreciation of the moment is certainly something that I think I don't rec- especially like doing something like this where. It's not like something I had to, I, I can make the own podcast set up. I can do that. But every time I get to put this on, there's always somebody out there who's like, I want, I really appreciate what you're doing. It's a good escape. And so it's really valuable to be able to just put my best foot forward in anything you do, really. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, and further to that point, the one thing that, that I think about is, um, you know, two and a half years ago, three years ago, what I'm doing now was one of my dreams. Uh, mm-hmm. I just finished a year where I called close to 200 sporting events at the division one level, uh, about two and a half years ago, I had not called a single one. Um, and so that was my dream at the time. Now, don't get me wrong. I have much bigger dreams. If you go to my Twitter bio right now, one of the posts that's pinned is I want to call a football game at death Valley someday, uh, for ESPN. So I have much bigger dreams and things that I'm attaining to. Um, but being able to enjoy where you're planted is, is so important because if you're constantly looking for what's next, that's a joy stealer and being able to enjoy the moments and where you're planted currently and realize that you are living out your dream already, uh, is really neat. And that really helps you kind of get through some of the grind early on in this industry. Absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, that's at calls by Noah. For the uh, the Twitter handle, I'll have that link down in the bio, just so I can get you, especially some more some more people to support you because what you're doing is awesome and what you're able to do for our time. But we're gonna do a couple rapid fire questions before we wrap up today, and you're feel free to answer it as in depth as possible. So Noah, for you, is there a dream person, play by play, color, and it can be someone who used to broadcast when you were growing up, maybe it was someone that's doing it now. Who's your dream person to do a broadcast with? And maybe it's a sport, maybe it's a person. Yeah, man, to do a broadcast with, um, you know, I I think, and this would never happen simply because he's a play-by-play person, but to sit in a booth for a Yankees game uh, and watch Michael Kay do his thing uh, would be uh, one of the coolest things for me. I think, you know, anyone who who gets into college sports too, a dream would always be to work a game with Jay Billis, a Kirk Herbstreet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those those opportunities might not be realistic, um, but those those are just some names that when you first think about it, uh, it is cool to think about. Hey, maybe someone one day is going, man, I want to be able to do a call with Noah Freire. You never know. Hey, maybe, maybe. <laughs> For you, and this is going to be our last question. So this is going to be dropping, I believe, either tomorrow or on Monday. Haven't necessarily decided. It depends on how today's trip to Clemson goes. But Noah, for you, do you have an NBA Finals prediction that starts tonight between the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat? Yeah, I am not the the biggest uh, NBA fan. I have been following it. Um, I, I've grown up in the era of uh, watching LeBron James, so I've kind of just followed him uh, for years. So um, obviously he's out of the playoffs right now. Uh, what a series for the Heat to get past the Celtics the other day. Um, so, but I think Denver's looked really strong throughout. I could see, uh, you know, Jimmy buckets and Miami stealing a couple games. So give me Denver winning in six. Uh, but I think the Denver nuggets are going to be the uh, NBA champions this year. Bookmark it here. We got a Noah's call for the, uh, the Denver nuggets in six. I said Denver in five on our NBA finals preview that posted on Wednesday. So you can find that there. So guys, this is Noah Freire. ACC play-by-play, Sunbelt play-by-play. You can find them 
like my brother said before this thing started, he's got a voice that's instantly recognizable. I'm sure you've heard his voice in the call. So if you recognize it, tell him what your favorite game was that he's called. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to episode 125 of the Man with a Plan podcast. Help us get to 20,000 listeners across all platforms. Subscribe. You guys know the drill by now. Click all the buttons. Thank you, as always, for the support. Take care and have a great day.